Welcome to Rotcast. Rotcast is a crazy quilt of repurposed audio source material and memories collected around a theme. I'm your host, Rotwang. Mothers. This topic is taken from the 1976 issue of Pushpin Graphic Magazine. The cover illustration was created by Milton Glaser, the most famous graphic designer I can think of. The cartoon shows an older lady wearing a flowery dress and a pearl necklace. She's smiling and pointing proudly to a baby picture. Along with her round reading glasses, she also sports a pair of angel wings and devil ears and horns. For every loving and nurturing mother, there's also the witch. But we begin with the good mother. What did your mother sing to you when you were a kid? When I was just a little boy, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be handsome? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera, what will be, will be. Second verse. When I was just a little boy, I asked my mother, what would I be? Will I be famous? Will I be rich? This is what she said to me. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. When the red, red robin comes, ba, ba, bobbing along, along. Wake up, wake up, get out of bed. Or wake up, wake up, you're sleepy head. I was like Mike Wallace with my mom. I was, I was trying to say, Mom, why did you sing that to me? It's so creepy. It's like scaring your kids about going into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get lost in the woods? <laughs> no. <laughs> and here in the peaceful woods, every little boy is the monarch of all he surveys. His trusty space gun, a deadly weapon to defend himself against the dangers of the unknown. A child at play, while all around him the countryside slumbers as quietly as... as this wayfaring stranger who has paused in this lovely glade for a restful nap in the sun. But wait a moment. Something's wrong here. This man isn't sleeping. He's dead. What song did you sing to me when I was a little kid? The one about the bears. The bears picnic? That is correct. And how and Why did you say why did you sing the creepy one? Yeah, and why is that a creepy one? <laughs> no, wait a minute. I've got more questions. <laughs> Can you sing a few bars? <laughs> sure. Wait, 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 do it creepy like you. <laughs> it's if you go down in the woods.
If you go down in the woods today, you'd better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain because today is the day the teddy bears have their picnic. Picnic time for teddy bears. Picnic time for teddy bears. The little teddy bears are having a lovely time today. Watch them. My mother used to sing this tongue twister to me that I believe that her mother had sang to her. Maresy doats and doosy doats and little lambsy divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? And basically, mares eat oats and does eat oats and little lambs eat ivy. A kid will eat ivy too, wouldn't you? And the pun is on kid being a baby goat and kid being a small human child. If the words sound queer, and funny to your ear, a little bit jumbled and jivey. Say, mares eat oats, yeah, and <laughs> does eat oats, yeah, and little lambs eat ivy. Oh, you really must let my doctor look at that. To think you saved that baby from a runaway horse. It was a maternal instinct, Majesty. I once went on a business trip to Arizona with my boss, Larry. He was the executive director for the organization, and I was his most creative employee. We were there to create a video for our trade association. I had created a series of sketches in the form of a storyboard for the video. We were going to use the current president's business as a background. One night, this friendly president and his wife invited Larry and myself over for dinner and a movie. They had a lovely hacienda complete with a projection theater in their living room. We were going to see their favorite movie, and it sounded like fun. Larry even had a short film he wanted to show before the main feature. It turned out to be his home video of his latest of five children being born. The president and my boss seemed to have a very close relationship. The president nor his wife seemed to find the idea untoward. I didn't seem to factor in. It was like a real-life embarrassing moment they could easily write up for the TV show The Office. As the video played, I had a flashback to health class when they showed the Miracle of Birth film. As a teen, I had a general understanding of birth, but I'd never seen it before. I started out watching the film in class with some curiosity and a little boredom. This eventually turned into unexpected nausea. I turned green and I was so queasy I had to put my head on my desk and stop watching. But I couldn't do that on this business trip with my boss. Apparently it was all related to the work we were there to do. He directed my attention to the screen several times to witness some special feature of his camera work or editing. I kept my head facing the screen and nodded when appropriate, but my eyes were shifted as far as possible to the side of my head. It was like I was trying to look out my ear. After a few minutes with my eyes like this, I developed an intense headache. Luckily, my boss was behind me, and the president and his wife were on the other side of the room in the dark. I kept thinking that Larry's wife in the video would kick him out of the hospital room. But then I noticed something that struck me as odd about how she looked on screen. Her hair and makeup was all done up. 
She looked maybe like she had been to the tanning salon, and she wore loads of jewelry. She wasn't writhing in pain like I saw other pregnant women do on TV. She was starring in this film. I kept hoping that if she didn't have any modesty that a doctor or nurse would request that Larry leave the birthing room. Eventually, someone did. I guess Larry had been through the event five times before with his wife. It wasn't a big deal if he played director of a feature film starring his wife's private... moment. I think maybe there was a bit of awkwardness when the lights came on between Larry and the president, but this faded with the beginning of the next movie. It was a western. Mother is drinking to forget a man who could fill the woods with invitations. Come with me, he whispered, and she went in his Nash Rambler, its dash where her knees turned green in the radium dials of the fifties. When I drink, it is always 1953, bacon wilting in the pan on Cook Street and mother wrist deep in red water, laying a trail from the sink to a glass of gin and back. She is beautiful, unlucky woman, in love with a man of lechery so solid you could build a table on it, and when you did, the blues would come to visit. I remember all of us awkwardly at dinner, the dark slung across the porch, and then mother's dress falling to the floor, buttons tickling like seeds spit on a plate. When I drink, I am too much like her, the knife in one hand, and in the other the trout with the belly, white as my wrist. I have loved you all my life, she told him, and it was true in the same way that all her life she drank, dedicated to the act itself. She stood at this stove, and with the care of the very drunk, handed him the plate. That poem was Frying Trout While Drunk by Lynn Emanuel, read to us today by number nine. Dead Air is a brief conversation with a once living luminary outstanding artist or creative who once lived and shared their gifts with the world. Now they return exclusively to Rotcast to keep their hand in and give us a glimpse from the netherworld. Welcome to Dead Air. I'm your host, Martin Mann. My guest today died at age 53 of prostate cancer. He was an American composer, 
electric guitarist, record producer, and film director. In a career spanning more than 30 years, he wrote rock, jazz, electronic, orchestral, and music concrete. He produced almost all the more than 60 records he released first with the band The Mothers of Invention and later as a solo artist. As a teen in the 1950s, he discovered two critical influences, first in popular rhythm and blues music, and secondly the experimental composer Edgar Verres. These desperate musical influences led him to create music that fit no established category. The lyrics to the music he made into songs contained iconoclastic language aimed at politicos, mainstream education, and organized religion. His songs were often populated with cartoonish characters he used to lampoon mores or lifestyle choices. He was often opinionated and outspoken. In the later years of his life, he had the opportunity to address a U.S. Senate hearing. The subject of the hearing was whether to mandate warning labels for certain sound recordings deemed sexually explicit or containing potentially offensive content. He took the position that this action would be of no benefit and an infringement of civil rights. Frank Zappa was a prolific artist. Many of his albums are considered essential in rock history, and he is regarded as one of the most original guitarists and composers of his time. Hello. <clears throat> a little feedback there. At the risk of putting you on the defensive right away, I'd like to say, Frank, may I call you Frank? Here's what you can do. You can pretend I am the Frank Zappa who accommodates the needs of this particular program. Great. Then I'll call you Frank. You've given more interviews while you are alive than anyone I've come across, but you always seem to have a bit of contempt for the interviewer. They never seemed to know you. You kept yourself a moving target. Oh, I have a reputation for being cynical. Let me tell you something. I would rather be treated as an eccentric or Hawaiian. Hawaiian? That's a bit random. Well, you should know. <laughs> you stopped recording. You died. Your catalog isn't growing, so I could judge your entire body of work. Categorize your output. What do you think about that? I don't know what to think the nerve of this gentleman. So how are you going to categorize it? Well, it's a unique fusion. I wouldn't care to name all that's being fused, but maybe uh, television aesthetic, adolescent body humor, and music concrete. It's great. Well, let me out of here. Wait, you're leaving? Please sit. It gets better. There's no way that I can sit here and be a normal human being because being interviewed is one of the most abnormal things that you can do to somebody else. It's uh, two steps removed from the Inquisition. I think your article in Life magazine referenced what you called glandular music. Much like Marcel Duchamp categorized much of painting as retinal, referring to art that stopped at the eyes. You suggest that glandular rock music stops at or was created to stimulate only young people in the glands. The human body has many glands, but I think we can safely say you meant the adrenal gland. No, uh-uh. Music should uh, be experienced all over your body, not just through your ears. The thyroid? No, uh-uh. Anyway, I want to elaborate on this glandular rock history and your counterattack. I call it Susie Quattro meets Susie Cream Cheese. What? 
you seem surprised. You know, I think that that this uh, radio interview is going to go off into a cheese direction. Just hear me out. I've just listened to a compilation of songs from groups that played a club called The Hideout. This was 1966 Detroit garage music. And from the liner notes that describe the scene, it was definitely dumb music for dumb teenagers. The crowd at the hideout was packed into a very small space, and some of their glands were working so hard, sweat puddled all over the dance floor. One band that played there was an all-girl band called the Pleasure Seekers, Susie Quattro and her sisters. song what a way to die is quite stupid basically the band were girls in miniskirts singing the brands of beer on tap it would be difficult to consume that much beer during the show the chorus is i may not live past 21 but what a way to die i don't like it that kind of music i think that most of it is an offense to people's intelligence and they trick these people into doing it with food, penicillin, helping out with sanitary conditions from time to time. But uh, you wouldn't censor those lyrics. No. Uh. -uh. The problem here is, it's a combination of very bad educational system, which turns out people can't say they're really graduated; they're just sort of unleashed on society with very little useful data in their brain. And this is compounded by a certain type of mental illness that pervades everything in American life. Speaking of education, I've been listening to your album, Reuben and the Jets. It was recorded only a few years after the Pleasure Seekers record. Reuben sounds like 50s doo-wop, but to me Reuben isn't very glandular. I think you're having sport with glandular ideas. The songs sound appropriate for a romantic slow dance but popping out of the simple lyrics are sentiments like why don't I kill myself and stuff up the cracks and turn on the gas. Stuff up the cracks, turn on the gas I'm gonna take my life If you decide to leave me It's all Interesting that both the Pleasure Seekers tunes and your Rubens album feature tongue-in-cheek attitudes about suicide. I'll write about things that interest me and have an honest reflection of my point of view. Now that you're dead, maybe you have a different point of view on how funny suicide is, yes? Let me tell you something. There's no reason to assume they can't be blended together. Humor and death? Yeah, sure. They're fun. You know, I'm not the one who makes the decision to have people come and go. 
and I couldn't understand it. I just thought that they're dead. Have you uh, met anyone interesting since you've been dead? I've seen Edgar Allan Poe from Baltimore. He's really written some neat stuff. Wow, I find that very interesting. You know there's a mystery about how he ended up dead. It'll curl your hair. Tell us, how did it happen? He was going down to City Hall to hear some speeches about politicians. Poe had been taken over by these mothers from little women's club foundations and stuff like that, and all these mothers would come pouring out into that little street. They had little five-gallon cans of water. One guy would hold Poe and pump boiling water in his ears. Pump a little water, and the next thing you know, his brain exploded under those conditions, and mental illness is the result. Running water. Very ingenious, you know. You can hear the screaming and torment. The next thing you know, this guy is dead from the neck up. If these little women damaged his inner ear, it might explain many things about what we know about his final days. He might have experienced dizziness and staggered as though he were drunk. He might not appear lucid if he was deaf. The injury might not be obvious if the burning was inside his ear. It might also become infected over days left untreated, especially if he appeared a derelict. And we must consider the primitive medical facilities of the day. But why did they do it? They thought that his father had a brewery. 1849 teetotaler fanatics. It's incredible. Yeah. So we are brought back again to beer. I'd love to know more about Poe, but I see our time is up. Well, thank you, Frank. It's been an interesting talk. You're welcome. Uh, I hope you can come back sometime. Yeah. Dead Air is a fiction. All views expressed, particularly about the afterlife, are intended only as entertainment and do not reflect the beliefs of the luminaries, interviewer, or producers of Dead Air. We urge listeners to seek out for themselves the living works of our luminaries. Ladies and gentlemen, Angelica Houston. I know it's bugging you, of course. Oh, I didn't know anything was. I wasn't a very good mother to you when you were a kid. It was pretty lousy of me, I guess. To be a child at the same time you were. Oh, for God's sake, Lily. I gave you your life twice. I'm asking you to give me mine once. I need the money, Roy. No. Roy, what if I told you that I wasn't really your mother? That we weren't related? What? You'd like that, wouldn't you? Sure you would. You don't have to tell me. Now, why would you like that, Roy? What are you talking about? Of course you're my mother. Of course you are. I have ever known. Was there a time, even in its smallest measurement, that you loved me at all? 
How can anyone love a pebble in their shoe? And then Mommy kissed Daddy, and the angel told the stork, and the stork flew down from heaven and left a diamond under a leaf in the cabbage patch, and the diamond turned into a baby. Our parents are having a baby, too. They had sex. Mrs. Adams, would you like anesthesia? No, thank you. But do ask the children. Cara mia. Moshe. Mrs. Adams, the baby? One house, three children. So many windows. My darling, it's you I'm worried about. The stress, all this squabbling. Oh, I'll be fine. I'm just like any modern woman, trying to have it all. A loving husband, a family. It's just I wish I had more time to seek out the dark forces and join their hellish crusade. That's all. Up next, the Juicy Truth. This Juicy Truth was recorded on Mother's Day, which makes it fit perfectly with this show's theme, Mothers. My mother, my sister, her son, and my wife sat around Mom's table and sampled two dessert wines. We're not going to assign a score to these dessert wines, like we usually do. We did do the full scoring treatment in show B, so we will use the, that Moscato d'Asti as a reference point. Today we'll be drinking Elio Peroni Bigaro. It's an Italian rosé, a blend of the Moscato grape we learned about in show B, and a new grape for us, the Brichetto. Both of these varietals are grown in northern Italy in a viticultural area we have mentioned before, the Piedmont. The red Brichetto grape, when mixed with the white Moscato grapes, gives the wine its beautiful pink color and shifts the flavors from tropical fruits towards red fruits. I'd give it maybe a pink grapefruit color. And I would say the color is more like watermelon. A really light pink, pretty color. I would say it's a color of lovely pink diamonds. Nice and sparkly. Ditto. <laughs> I like the bubbles dissolving on my tongue like a frothiness, and I like that. I agree with the frothiness and the fact that it's, it's got a real couple subtle flavors in there that are really nice that just kind of mix around. Well, I normally don't like any type of sparkling wine. But this one isn't a lingering sparkle, you know? It, after you taste it, it kind of, the sparkle goes away. So it's probably one of my favorite sparklings because it's, it dissipates very fast. Okay, I like rosés and I like sparkling, so I like this. <laughs> I don't taste any kind of vinegar, which I really don't like. But I really like this. Soft is a good adjective for it, and also uh, I think John said that it was subtle. I think it, it's light. It's a lot less sweet than the ice wine we just tried. thought I detected when we first had it in the glass something citrusy. Passion fruit, is that what you said? Kiwi? It doesn't have a very distinct flavor of its own, right? It's made with the same grape as uh, 
bug juice was. Moscato. The fruit notes for Brocato are plum, strawberries, cherries, and raspberries. Brocato is famous for a light body and perfumed foam. Italians call the foam frizzati. Wine sellers would say it's sparkling, and I would say it's lightly carbonated. Are you drunk? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about how we like it and if we'd buy it again. A little hesitant to buy it again because I'm not a big fan of sparkling wines. But as far as sparkling wines go, it's delicious, subtle. Great bouquet. Really, really light on the nose so it doesn't sting or anything. But all the flavors are there. So as far as sparkling wines go, I'd definitely go for this one. I think I'd buy it again. I'm still trying to figure out what food I would put it with, but this one probably would go with a lot of different desserts, whereas the other one was too heavy. This one is light. You feel like you can drink more of it, right? <laughs> well, I think, that, I think where the other wine, it would be difficult to pair that with something, almost have to drink it on its own, but this one might enhance some food that you taste. I suggested serving this wine with a fruit cup made with strawberries and kiwi, but I think the winemakers have a good handle on what pairs with Bagaro. Their website suggests serving it with sorbet and hazelnuts. Of course, cheesecake would be good too. This is almost like a step up, like I've gone to the big girls' table maybe, and now I don't have to have the, the just the sparkling grape juice. I would have it with dinner. Rinaldi Bug Juice, a Moscato d'Osti, at $18 a bottle is still our favorite dessert wine. It's followed closely by Ilia Peroni Bergaro Rosé at $15 a bottle. The Bergaro is reasonably priced and a delicious wine. It's only slightly less distinct in flavor, close to plum, whereas the Bug Juice had a more pear flavor. The Rosé does have a unique effervescence owing to the Bricado grapes. The Rodcast musical bed you're hearing is called Haunted. It's used with the permission of the composer Kim Schutterle. If you have a good idea for a Rodcast theme or a wine suggestion for our review, email your idea to mail at rotcast.com or call the Rotline. The Rotline phone number will be posted at the website or Skype us at CallRotCast. Visit www.rotcast.com to learn more about the wines and link to more content. Listen next time when you will hear... What's my fortune? You've been reading the cards, haven't you? I've been doing the accounts. Come on, read my future for me. You haven't got any. Hmm? What do you mean? Your future is all used up. Why don't you go home?